I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Barney Salzberg, author of Arlo Needs Glasses. Going from two eyes to four isn't a bummer. In fact, it's a rich adventure. Just ask Arlo, a shaggy, free-spirited dog who loves to play catch until one day he can't see the ball anymore. He needs glasses. Barney Salzberg shows kids the amazing powers of glasses in this treasure of a book inspired by his own canine companion. Every child in glasses will know just how Arlo feels and will feel better because of it. Readers will follow along with Arlo as he does all the big firsts involved in getting glasses. Visit a doctor, get tested on an eye chart, look through the for operator, and then the fun part, choosing frames. What should Arlo get? Movie star glasses, superhero glasses, classic frames that never go out of style. Salzburg has written tunes for the PBS author, Arthur, not author, and continues to perform music for children. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Barney. It is great to be here. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. I have a question because this is this book. This is uh, is a seven. Uh, you first published the book in 2012, and now yes. you okay. So now we've got 10 or 11 years later. Um, I, I guess the question is, why did you know? It's the book is a little bit different now. I don't see it as interactive in the same way that the first book was. It's it's a little bit different. Um, why did you decide to reprint it and reprint it now? Well, I think it's every author's dream is uh, to have a book stay in print as long as possible. And just uh, someone once said the shelf life of a book is somewhere between that of milk and yogurt. Um, Not all books stick around. (laughs) So this book ran its course because it was a very intensive, difficult book to make. It had lots of pop-ups and uh, paper engineering, and it got really, really... um, difficult to make. And as much as people love the book, they just made some decision at some point that they were going to switch it to a uh, traditional paperback, uh, not paperback, but a a picture book uh, to keep the story alive, which meant the world to me because it doesn't always happen. And in this case, I think the, the consensus around Workman Publishing was this was a story that needed to be told, whether it was a pop up or a flat story. And so let's talk about the story. I'd like to talk about the story and the themes in the story. Yes, Um, Arlo needs glasses, but there are lots of themes running through this book, obviously. Lessons for children. Um, What are some of those? Well, I think what I really was hoping to do was demystify the process of once recognizing that there might be an issue. whether you're having trouble reading or you're having trouble catching a ball. In this case, it was catching a ball. Um, And what it would feel like to go to an eye doctor and have your eyes examined, I think that can be a pretty daunting uh, prospect for a little kid. And to have a dog rather than a human go through it kind of is a separation. It makes it a little easier to to, um, imagine it. And I wanted to model it. So... Arlo goes and he meets the, the eye doctor. They test his eyes. He looks through the machine that we all have to look through. I didn't even know what it was called till I did the research for this book, a Feropter, and uh, keep saying that that 
the one in my book's much more kid friendly than the one in in the offices. I'd love to start uh, designing those for people, and um, and I just think it demystifies it, and then it becomes a fun thing because you get to pick out glasses, and he gets some really fun ones, and I think that that would be something any child would look forward to once they see that it's not a scary thing after all. Yeah, well, the first thing I was thinking about, it used to be, and I'm not sure it's the same now, but kids who wore glasses uh, sometimes were uh, maybe not necessarily bullied, but made fun of. And, uh, it, you know, it was looked on as, you know, because so, the kid was odd and it was uh, strange for a kid to be wearing glasses. And this sort of introduces kids. To, it's it's not only okay, but it's fun. And it's, it's uh, you know, their choices and glasses and all that kind of stuff. But um I don't know, you know, say when the book was published in 2012, maybe it's a little bit different now. The kids have been more exposed to these kinds of experiences. Um, and so that that may or may not still be an issue. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think it, I think it's a case by case. You know, I think, you know, if, if a family has glasses, I think it'll feel uh, uh, like you're doing what everybody does. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's always somebody who's going to tease someone. Um, but I, I do think that there's a different acceptance of glasses now than when I was a kid. Uh, I, I think I haven't really interviewed uh, elementary school age kids to ask them, but I, I've heard of kids uh, wearing glasses that have no lenses in them just because they like the look of them. So I think I think there's a, a greater acceptance, but I think the, the bullying factor could definitely play into this, and this would hopefully uh, remove some of that. But I also think it was really wanting to demystify the process of of going and, and having your eyes examined, because I think any first time doctor visit can be you know scary for for someone who hasn't gone before. Do they have pediatric ophthalmologists? It seems to me they have pediatric yeah. everything they do. They they do. I get a lot of letters from them that uh, of thanks that this is a book that's in the lobby of a waiting room for for many pediatric uh, ophthalmologists. Absolutely, and optometrists. Um, yeah. So I was uh, the kids also. I kind of want to go with that time frame from twenty twelve to now uh, have been through COVID and they've been actually wearing masks so that even <laughs> they've had that kind of an experience. Do you think the kids today are, I don't want to use the word more sophisticated, but their experiences have been so much different than say the, when you first wrote the book and uh, maybe what their reaction or even their parents' reaction to the to Arlo as glasses would be? Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, certainly we've all been through uh, uh, an experience that none of us. I remember when when the pandemic started, my son, who's now an adult, said, "Well, what did you what did you do the last time?" <laughs> we didn't get to do that. We weren't around during the uh, first one. But um, yeah, so it was it was something we all all experienced for the first time, for the most part. Um, I don't know. I think maybe in that time people weren't even getting to go to eye doctors for a bit. I think once once um, once people started going back into businesses like that, that would have been that would have been the sequel to Arlene's glasses having to wear a mask 
and then go in to get your eyes examined, which would just be one more piece of equipment to have on your face. But I think that became second nature to most of us. So I don't know that it really played in. Do you get the, re- you know, when you, you've written, obviously the book has been out for a while. So you get the reaction of kids, you get the reaction of parents, teachers, and as you said, uh, pediatric ophthalmologists. What are some of those reactions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, they've been very thankful, you know, that, that there's been something playful and fun to give to their kids to kind of uh, introduce what, what, what's going to be happening. And um, it's, it's been only positive feedback for me at this point. I get a lot of notes on Instagram from ophthalmologists and eye doctors and parents. And the cutest thing is, a lot of them will send pictures of the kid holding the book uh, and the kids wearing their glasses. None of them, I have to say, have the glasses that Arlo has, which <laughs> his have little dog bones on the corners. Um, I'd love to see a pair of those. But, um, yeah, it's been really, really gratifying to have that response. I mean, it, it's, you know, there is always the possibility that you write a book that no one can relate to. And, again, not everybody wears glasses. But uh, that said, I give the book yesterday to our next door neighbor who turned four. He doesn't wear glasses, but he liked it anyway. So it, it is a story, hopefully, that, that will tickle people on different levels for different reasons. But um, yeah, to find out that this has been helpful in the transition from not wearing glasses to wearing glasses is, is really validating to, to get that response from, from parents. And well, kids. it sounds and kids. I was going to say you get the response: parents, kids, doctors, which is great. Actually, yeah. now there are so many choices in terms of glasses. I mean, it's a. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard from any dogs yet. I'd like to no, get. Well, I'd like and to you, get a, a Instagram partial for dog. <laughs> and you probably you won't get that, but you know, I was just looking you up in, in terms of your history and when you were younger, and uh, I'm just I think you wrote or I can't remember where I read it, but online that uh, when you were a kid, your mother, instead of buying you coloring books, she bought you uh, a notebook where you could just draw the way you wanted to draw. Uh, you could draw what you yep. wanted to draw. And talk to us about yeah. that, because I, I feel really strongly about that. I have grandchildren, and there's just so many things that even still they have to do. They have to paint inside the lines or draw inside or color inside, and they get frustrated if they don't stay in the lines. And I'm always saying, well, it doesn't really make that much difference. You, you know, be creative. So anyway, I saw that that has been your experience. So talk to us about that. It, it, my mom was really a pioneer in, in that time. Excuse me. She um, did not believe in coloring books. She, I remember wanting coloring books, and she said, why would you color in other people's art? Make your own. And uh, I did a book years ago called Andrew Drew and Drew, and it was dedicated to her for that very reason. Um, I think it encouraged me to have an imagination because I wasn't looking at someone else's art that was reproduced and thinking about what colors I would put, try to get inside the lines. I would create my own. And now that you're talking about it, I don't think I ever used crayons at that point. I was always using pencils and, and just drawing line art. And maybe I would shade with them, but it wasn't color at that point. Um, I just, that was my medium. It was a pencil. And um, I think that I did have an art teacher in college when I told him that story 
recommend that I buy some coloring books and get it out of my <laughs> system because I was trying to paint inside my line work and to just loosen up. I did do a book um, called Beautiful Oops, and that book uh, demonstrates that you know, anything you draw, whether you spill paint or uh, uh, tear a piece of paper, can be turned into art. So I'm a big believer in in playing and taking what we think is a mistake. You know, whether you're trying to paint inside a line and it becomes broken with the the strokes you're doing with your crayon or your paint or whatever it is, make it into a fuzzy animal or something else. I mean, I, I just think you can play, and I think having um, been told by my mom as a kid that it was up to me to create the art um, really allowed for me to explore beyond the bounds of a, of a coloring book in a way that shaped my imagination for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, that's what it sounded like. It And uh, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, yeah. It, imagination. And I think sometimes we kind of try to, or we do maybe not wanting to quell that in, in our kids. I, I'm thinking of when you're describing, uh, I'm thinking of Jackson Pollock, <laughs> who certainly didn't go in the lines, right? Um, right. A good, a, a good example well, of I, that. Yeah. The, the, but, the beauty of, I, 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 where I see um, people getting discouraged is when, they are told that this is how you draw something. And to make a cat, you have to have a circle and two triangles, and the nose is a U up, you know, the, the letter U, and, and these are the, the components that make a cat instead of how do you draw it? And maybe your lines aren't going to be as perfect as a, as a triangle and a circle, but that's okay. And I, once a, 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 an adult or another kid says, you drew it wrong, it can be really crushing. So I, I really love the idea of, of letting someone just do it the way they do it and not being critical and just letting them do it. Because if you looked at my earlier drawings, no one would have looked at my sketchbooks and said, he has a career as an illustrator. I wasn't a gifted illustrator by any means. It was sheerly from, from, from doing it over and over and over again and inventing my own style, developing it. I had an art teacher say, that I had the ability to draw like a child. And she said that during a critique session with all of these really talented artists. And I was actually embarrassed when she said it. It took years for me to really get that I had my own style and it wasn't going to look like everybody else's. And to be okay with that took, took some time because I think we, we can get shamed into thinking we're not talented because there's always going to be somebody who can draw better. Uh, no, I think that's a, a important point and really something that the kids, it's really important that the, the, the teachers, I think, uh, in in school and in art programs are aware of that. I don't know how much they are. I, there's a game that kids can play. I play with my uh, six, eight-year-old grandchildren, you know, children where you start drawing something, you give it to the other person and then they add on to it and make it into something else and you go <laughs> yep. back and forth and yep. uh, uh, kind of a good example of what we're talking about, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my family w was a squiggle, squiggle. I've done that one and then to just say, and you know, it's really great to do with, with anybody who is of the opinion that they're not creative or capable of making art. I tell them to put a whatever the drawing, it could be a lipstick or an eyeliner or a crayon or a pen or a pencil or whatever, 
and put it in your non-dominant hand, close your eyes and make a little squiggle. Anybody can do that. And then flip it around and see what you can turn it into. And you might leave it alone and go, it's a noodle doing yoga. That's fine. Um, but it, Or maybe it's a piece of something larger. And I've been doing squiggle drawings every time I go. I bring an iPad with me when I present publicly, and we plug it into a projector. And I always have volunteers come up and make squiggle drawings with me. And what I find is the reluctant artist, the reluctant writer will be turned on. They will want to keep making squiggle drawings and write stories based on the characters they create. And it's a really wonderful way to get your unconscious to, to let go and, and be free and see where it goes. And if I say to you, any squiggle you make is perfect, that's really, really freeing and liberating. If I say, you're supposed to make yours look like mine here, immediately a lot of people shut down. So, yeah, what you're playing with, with that back and forth, uh, you know, adding to each other's drawings is just makes it fun. Yeah. And if well, they see an adult who's willing to, to play like that and not go, I don't know what to draw. <laughs> it's really important. Really important. So we have to get away from those supposed to's. You have to. It, it has to, as you say. Absolutely. Has to, yeah. And, and open up that imagination and. Um, which is what you do. And actually I introduced you as an author and I should have said author illustrator. So I, I want to correct myself because that's, it is a big part of this, this, this business for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Absolutely. So yeah. what's next for you? What's next? Well, um, I just finished my very first book of poetry uh, something I've always wanted to do. And as you might guess from Arlo Needs Glasses, I love dogs. And um, it is a book of all dog poems called The Smell of Wet Dogs. And uh, I got to draw a dog for every poem, which was just a blast for me and a labor of love. It took a while to get it done. Poetry is not necessarily a huge uh, market for, for people that aren't named Shel Silverstein. But um, I'm hoping that there'll be room for a Salzburg, <laughs> and um, that that'll be coming out this year. Well, that's great because I think when I think you're right when people hear the word poetry, they back off. Well, I don't really, I don't understand poetry. I really can't. You know, it's not something I mm-hmm. get, and they are a little bit fearful of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so. You're going to open up that door as well, I guess. Um, the smell I of hope wet. So. I yeah. Hope so. <laughs> so, how'd you come up with the title of "The Smell of Wet Dogs"? It was one of the poems. Uh, it just, you know, it's it's just such a um, strong, not necessarily uh, <laughs> uh, appetizing smell, but I think the, the yuck factor will appeal to kids. Uh, yeah. So that that that. I wanted something that was going to stand out, and it's a fun drawing of a of a of a just a stinky wet dog on the cover. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted something that was going to be catchy. So, kids, obviously, uh, that's your the focus of your work and your yes. drawings and your books. And uh, so, how does that fit into your own personal life? You know, I'm a social worker. I always like to know, you know, where does all this come from? 
um, in, in turn, how, how did you actually get interested in that, in, in uh, writing books for kids and illustrating books and now the smell of wet dogs, poetry? <laughs> the, um, I was very fortunate to have a, an incredibly great public library, uh, the West Hollywood Library, when I was a kid growing up in the 60s in L.A., and I spent a lot of time there, and there was a lovely, lovely, lovely librarian who was always giving me great books to read. And uh, in addition to that, my parents and, and my sketchbooks, uh, which kept me creative all the time, uh, or creating all the time. I don't know how creative I was. But um, I would go to one of our local bookstores, and my mom would let me kind of hang out in the children's section. And if I was lucky, she would let me come home with a new book. And I think on a cellular level, the smell of the of the book itself, the feel of the paper was so intoxicating to me. And the stories just were like little movies for me. I loved them. We, there was way less, we didn't have screens like kids have now. So it, that became my screen, you know, to, to have a book. And it wasn't like I had a million of them where you can click on things and, and have another story. It was that book. And they became very um, personal experiences and places to go. And I think that um, it, 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 it made an impression on me that I wasn't aware of at the time. I started writing music and um, songs when I was eight. I, I was like many kids of my generation wanting to be a Beatle. And music and art became my um, safe place, my happy place. I had a lot of learning, undiagnosed learning issues as a kid. They would definitely have treated me differently now, given all the assessments that are available to educators, but they weren't necessarily that available when I was growing up. And, and so math and English were all challenging to me. And for me to be able to have the freedom to write my own things and whether it was music or lyrics or my own drawings was, was where I was happy. And, um, after I studied art in college and music and found a book by William Steig, who started writing children's books at 61 for being a New Yorker cartoonist. Um, I fell in love with that book and I just thought, Oh my goodness, the, 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 the length of this book is not that, just, just like a um, song lyric. It's, it's short and succinct. And I already draw, so what if I put my songwriting capabilities into writing short little stories and illustrating them? And that you was know, a you huge talk shift. About, I'm going to interrupt you because probably this is my last yeah. question since we only have a few minutes left. But you, know, you talk about the style yeah. of the books and the influence that the librarian had on you, and I'm assuming your teacher's all positive. What do you think the impact is going to be on kids today when they don't, they don't smell the book and they don't touch the book and they, as you say, they have their screens, they read, and I do that too, you know, digitally or, uh, you know, I don't actually have a book in hand. The impact, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, I mean, there's been studies. I think we retain information differently when we write as opposed to type. Um, I think the same goes for reading digitally versus reading, uh, uh, I'm going to say analog, but a, a, a traditional book. I, I think the information gets to us differently. Um, look, I don't care if you're reading the back of a cereal box or a 
you know, whatever it is, I, I, I encourage reading it at, at any cost, at any way you can. Um, and if people are reading stories, it, it, as with everything, it's evolution. It, if that's the way books are told and, and delivered, that, that, that's going to be the way it's done. Um, it remains to be seen how that impacts us. Um, I look at some of the stuff that's being done now, and I think that books, uh, luckily there's a lot of publishers still doing them, and a lot of moms and dads still uh, buying the books. Um, I hope that continues forever in spite of all the technology that happens. It was great to talk to you. I could go on, but we only have a minute left. So uh, we have, I have been talking to Barney Salzberg and you can go to Barney Salzberg dot com that's your website he is yep. author illustrator mm-hmm. and his book is arlo needs glasses um thanks so much for being on the show today i appreciate the time thank you thank you i'm Catherine zox your social worker with a microphone and you've been listening to the Catherine zox show mm-hmm. 